You're listening to the Limmaster podcast between. I have managed to find enough women to talk to, and I just want to make sure that this podcast does wind up before the end of the world. So, this is an old fashioned Limmaster, me and a guy talking guy stuff. Louis Proud, also known as someone else. Hey Jason. Hi. Hey. It seems more fitting that we meet in your room, especially since you tidy it every day. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit messy in the background. Um, <laughs> actually, so I guess that was a lie. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. but, um, you were thinking Jordan might be reading it. <laughs> yeah. It was just a bit of, uh, you know, a tongue-in-cheek remark. I had a bit of fun, uh, you know, with the, the blurb and um, with the bio on that book. Um, I, I guess being able to use a pseudonym kind of frees you up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it reminded me you doing, I mean, the creating persona, but even the kind of persona a little bit reminded me of a persona I created one day with Shana's uh, suggestion some years back, he was called Harry Duran and okay. he was the hard ass of spirituality and he just berated everyone and everything yeah, for a very right. brief period. I don't know if the blog is still up, it might well be, but anyway, I had a lot of fun with that. I was just going to say, um, so uh, I, as far as, I don't know if we can necessarily use the video on this, I mean, my um, actual name is showing there on the screen, and because I've logged in using my Gmail email address. So, uh, anyway, I guess at least we'll use the audio. I, I don't even yeah. know if we'll use this interview at all, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, well, it's up to you, I think, uh, how, how you want to use it. And I don't yep. care about the video anyway, so it's just. Skin off my nerves. Yeah, get seen or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, gosh, where to begin? Um, it, it's been a while since we've had a conversation. It's probably been a couple of years or, or something. So I, I, I sort of almost feel a little bit. Um, I, I guess sort of. I mean, I've been following your your work and and uh I, I know that you're currently living in spain um how do you pronounce the uh the area that you're living in in spain galicia galicia okay galicia galicia, galicia would be like a, an iceberg <laughs> yeah. yeah so what what um what motivated your move to spain Well, there's some uh, uncertainty about that now, looking back, because my wife was saying recently that we were partly motivated by the 
um, events in the recent year and a half in this hysteria around COVID and all this, the, the social political changing landscape, all that stuff that began in March 2020, we decided to move in February 2020. So I'm like, no, honey, we, it had nothing to do with any of this. It was just that the timing was amazingly good. And what prompted us to move in my recall was just wanting to be in Europe closer to Finland where Dave Oshana runs the retreats because I was going back and forth once or twice a year anyway. And um, I did have a growing sense that time was running out as far as getting in the right place on the planet before everything went to hell. I mean, but I mean, that's something I felt and even st- tried to do that in my 20s. Right? So it took me 30 years to finally uh, get settled in that, in that particular way. I was settled in Canada. I was very settled, as you may remember. Yep. But I felt as though as far as where I'm going to be for the rest of my life, I didn't want it to be in Canada. I wanted it to be in Europe. So then from there, we just started looking into different country options where it was cheaper. And Spain was an obvious choice for me because I speak Spanish. Uh, and um, But it turned out it was also cheaper than other places for property. Uh, so the opportunity seems to be there and they just seem to all point towards Galicia. So, I mean, we did do some basic research, climate and things like that. But now it feels as though it was all just kind of instinctive, just like, you know, animals when the, when the earthquake's coming, they'll move to a better spot. It feels like that now. And it's certainly the timing is remarkable because uh, a couple of years later, we might not have been able to make the move. So I mean, it was hard, so, even so. Actually, we had to jump through some hoops. So you, you managed to make the move before the pandemic, and you're relatively unaffected by it where you are. Well, you see, you might have noticed that I uh, had trouble saying what happened in the last year and a half because I, I don't use the word pandemic. Because yeah. I don't personally believe that there is one. Uh, and, and that was, I mean, we were unaffected in hope. We were running a thrift store, yeah. uh, handling yeah. goods, meeting, interacting with people by, by the dozen every hour for, for, for a whole year. And neither of us got so much as a sniffle. We weren't observing any protective behaviors or anything like that no masks no hand sanitizers nothing and didn't change anything except our hours we reduced our hours um so so we've we confirmed for ourselves i mean we were unable to confirm the existence of a pandemic and then which confirmed our own suspicions that, that the reports were greatly exaggerated so we were unaffected by any kind of apparent uh, contagion and we were unaffected by the changing laws and the lockdowns, I think, because it's just such a small town that nobody bothered us. Uh, so the only 
thing that was affecting was just the usual, you know, the people wearing masks and having to wear a mask going into certain shops. That started fairly early on. Um, and then, but then the first real inconveniences began with travel. So, I, yeah, it was difficult to get, more difficult than usual to get from Cairns to Spain in December of 2020. And then since we've been in Spain, yeah, we've been more affected. Like I, I've been given a ticket for not wearing a mask in the supermarket. It never, I never got the fine. So I think they were just trying to scare me. Yeah. Um, and just generally harassed and hassled, often by ordinary people, more often, in fact. Uh, so that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, nothing major. And where we are now, we're just in a very small village. I mean, very small, like two or three people most of the year. And um, so the, it's like there's nothing. There's really nothing going on. There's a, a few people come wearing the masks if they come to fix the electricity or something. So yeah. So we still see the evidence of it. But otherwise, it's mostly just going into the big cities that it's... I mean, I, yeah, Spain is... Well, I would probably don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, I think Spain is certainly better than France, say, in terms of the measures. They're, and and they've had decades under Franco, so they know here generationally that the government is a hard-ass, big, fat bully, and you can't trust it, but you do have to comply if you don't want to get killed in your home. That's the sort <laughs> that's the ancestral memory that they have here and, and even direct memory and so I suspect there is compliance here but it's not the infuriatingly brainwashed trust your government kind of compliance it's just yeah we better play ball because yeah, okay. you know what happens when the velvet glove comes off yeah well I don't know if you've been following um, what's been happening in Australia uh, in response to to COVID, it's been um, well. It, it's obviously it's it's been a very divisive issue globally, but there have been you know protests uh, in Melbourne in particular, and uh, you know people protesting against uh, the frequent lockdowns that they've been having. Um, you know, in Melbourne, it seems to be a lot of this activity or a lot of the uh, the lockdowns seem to be focused in, you know, obviously around major cities, Sydney, Melbourne. Uh, the Victorian government, though, is, you know, because it's sort of, it, it differs from state to state. Um, so it seems to be very much a kind of a local or state government issue now. But we've been relatively unaffected in Tasmania. I guess it's also... You know, it's part of the reason is that um, our borders have, have been more or less closed since the pan- pandemic uh, happened, and and then um, oh, you know, we've had to do stuff like you know use the check-in app and that kind of thing. So you've got to take your mobile phone wherever you go, and you've got to scan the the code, and basically, it's you know wherever you go, walk into a shop, supermarket whatever uh even just to walk through you know a cemetery <laughs> had to had to scan the little code you know otherwise you can get hit with a nasty fine so wow. uh, yeah um wow. but the, the australian What's government 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they say that, oh, look, it's to keep people safe because, you know, at least if there has been an outbreak in that area, then we can notify you uh, via mm-hmm. your, your mobile phone, you know. So, um, but yeah, the funny thing is that pretty much all of my friends and family members, they're all very much convinced that, uh, you know, it's a really serious situation and that we need to be in lockdown and that we need to have all these restrictions in place and you know they're getting vaccinated and they're saying to me you know watch out louis or chuck <laughs> i've already given it away <laughs> <laughs> yeah in your own but you know, you yeah. <laughs> but yeah they're saying yeah look you should get vaccinated as well and you know there could be a another wave and all this kind of thing. So I, I just sort of try to stay out of the debate um, mm. because I've, I've just seen how emotional people get about it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you were following the situation with, with Joe Rogan uh, when he made mm. some comments about, you know, young people not necessarily needing to get vaccinated. So he was saying, look, if you've got a healthy immune system, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to get vaccinated. You should be okay. And of course, then when he did get COVID, uh, he got over it very quickly. Um, he was taking ivermectin um, to sort of boost his immune system, but but he got over it in a few days. And and so they were, they were pleased that he got it. I'm, I'm referring to, you know, the media and all the people mm-hmm. who agreed that we needed to have all these restrictions and, and so on. Um, and then he, he got over it quite quickly. And I think they were quite disappointed <laughs> about that. Um, but it is, it is just such a weird situation. I, uh, I've kind of gotten used to it now, all the, the craziness. Um, but we, it just very much feels as though we're living in a very different paradigm, a different world. Um, it's actually amazing how quickly one becomes accustomed to, um, you know, these big changes in society. Mm. Um, but, you know, my, my attitude is that uh, I'm sort of, I, I kind of feel like I'm in the middle just sort of watching the, the drama unfold, I guess, on both sides. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of become a, a big issue between the, you know, the left and the right. I suppose. Obviously, people who are considered conservative on the right say that the lockdowns are excessive and the restrictions are excessive. Um, And and then obviously people on the left, which is quite surprising because (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's amazing how the the left has sort of been sort of, uh, it's sort of become the the mainstream opinion now, I guess. And it's, uh, you know, it's uh, big tech and um, you know, big farmer and all that kind of thing. They're all, they've obviously aligned themselves with the left or they're, they're using it um, to, to sort of win the whole culture war, I guess. Um, and that, that of course is a term that gets thrown around a lot these days, culture war. But I would say that um, it is very much the case that, that, you know, that they've, they've already won the culture war. It's not really, so much a war anymore it's uh it's become our world now our reality you know so um because we're talking about the 
the opinion that's held by the majority of the population. Um, you know, so e- even if people protest or whatever, um, like what happened in Melbourne, um, they're immediately labelled, you know, alt-right or neo-Nazis, you know, which is a term that my mother was using as well. And I looked at the footage of these people in Melbourne protesting. Mm-hmm. The police were using, you know, tear gas and rubber bullets. And, and it wasn't, certainly wasn't neo-Nazis. It was people of all different, you know, ethnicities and races and so on. So mm-hmm. it's just so much disinformation out there as well. And I do try to tell people about these things sometimes. I, I put, I, I try to, you know, put my case across that that they're not necessarily being told the truth and, and then they need to look at, you know, other perspectives. But uh, it seems to be very much a lost cause. So I feel as though I'm probably wasting my energy <laughs> trying to do that, you know. I suppose, I mean, unless it's your mother and or somebody that you can't, you don't want to just... Yeah. yeah give up on right? hmm. then I suppose you want to have a conversation with somebody and they're spouting uh, indoctrinated thoughts that yeah. aren't sourced in their own sense of reality or their own awareness or anything it's quite unnerving and it's distressing unless yeah. you don't give a damn about that person and then I, I anyway would just turn away and find somebody else to talk to but you can't can't do that with people that you care about or you don't want to so I think it's I mean I would agree overall with those sentiments and it's interesting to hear that that snapshot of Australia by the way doesn't Mm. surprise me yeah Um, but I think the specifics are and this is what I'm finding is is that the war comes to us, and I agree it's not a culture war, it's a war of consciousness would be probably the better term, a war on consciousness. Mm. And that, the, the I was going to say the virus, the real virus is like eating away people's sentience, I think. And techn- I mean, we see the ways that technology does this, and technology has become an instrument of the, of the uh, social engineer. I mean, it always was, but it's become more and more visibly effective as an instrument of the totalitarian uh, web, you know, that's being spun around us. And and so it's like people are carrying that virus of propaganda, which is, well, it has many, like the COVID thing, it's got many prongs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what I found is, because if somebody I care about and respect says that they've just taken the vaccine and they think it was a good idea and that it's perfectly safe. And and I know because not because I've done the research, but because I know people who have who I've trust who shared it with me. And I, I know that it's not true. The vaccine isn't safe. It's completely untested. And there's massive statistical evidence that it's it's harming people enormously. And it, you know, before and beyond that, my own personal experience and level of paranoid awareness as you know always presumes malevolence on the part of state agendas i just do because it's just it's just well it's experience there's always in my view there always seems to be a malevolent agenda behind what the state does to supposedly help us and um, so yeah when somebody comes with that position it's very hard for me to ignore it and it's very hard for me to it, it it creates a double bind because if i care i care about that person so then i want 
I want to alert them to the fact that they're making, they may be making a very bad choice and they have made a bad choice and it, it affects everyone else. Cause when people go along, like the analogy, I, I used this account once on a Patreon account I had, uh, the, the people in a, an experiment they did with people in a room, in a classroom, what have you, and half of them were controls or maybe more than half. And uh, maybe controls isn't the word, but they were plants. They knew the nature of the experiment. And they started pumping smoke under the door. I mean, just small amounts. Maybe you've heard this thing. And the people who knew what was going on, were they were told just not to react. People who didn't know, notice the smoke, they look around, they see the other people are not reacting. The majority isn't reacting, so they don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And it goes on like that. Because they don't want to go against the what they as Most people, when they want to know what to do, they check what other people are doing. So for me, somebody who takes this vaccine and then argues that it's safe. It's not just that they're making an uninformed decision for themselves, but they're strengthening the, the um, momentum or the gravitational pull or you know, the attraction or the efficacy of, of a, an agenda that's luring people into making a bad choice. So I'd say they're accountable, not just for the harm they might be doing to themselves, but for other people making the same choice based on their... Uh, irresponsibly repeating state propaganda as if it were fact. So there's a, you can see, there's a whole mess of feelings in there. I care about the person, I want to help them, but I'm angry because they're, etc. Right? So it's, yeah, no, I, what do you do? I, I, I agree with you there. Um, the thing is, though, the the, the social engineering project uh, around COVID. It, it's so complex and I mean there's there's good evidence that there is a you know I mean there is obviously a virus called COVID-19 that as far as I understand that is quite harmful um, probably I mean I've heard it described as just like a very bad case of the flu um, mm-hmm. and I know that yeah. as well uh, you know the statistics have been manipulated in such a way that it seems as though there have been cases of just people dying of the flu and then they've been classified as as covid deaths as well, well yeah there have been no flu deaths since the covid thing reported yeah, yeah. i mean i think it went down to zero so whereas normally there's thousands so at yeah. least at one point when my wife was researching it the number of covid related deaths was roughly the same as the number of flu-related deaths the year before, which yeah. was zero this year. So, yeah, there's definitely a conflation. Yeah. That was good. yeah. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to catch it, that's for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've spoken... Well, so you can get immunity that way. Yeah, well, that's, that's true too. And I would say that uh, my chance of um, fighting that virus using just my immune system, I would say I'd, I, I would you know, I'd have a pretty good chance of, of doing that, um, considering that I do, you know, take good care of my health, et cetera, uh, exercise, eat well, et cetera, which is, it, it, it is funny though, that they're not, the authorities aren't advocating those things. They're not saying, oh, look, you know, make sure you get plenty of sunlight, plenty of vitamin D, exercise, eat well, et cetera. In fact, what they're doing is they're, you know, even placing restrictions around how for how long people can go out to exercise and that sort of thing. You know, it's like, well, you can only go out for an hour 
to exercise and and that that kind of thing. So, look, I I just think it, it's it's so complicated, and I can see why you know people you know they they want to adopt the, the official narrative because it's it's convenient and it, it takes little effort and it's it's just so much easier to to go along with the herd i suppose right um, for, for most people by definition that's what makes a herd yeah it wouldn't yeah. be easier for me though i mean yeah. it would be <laughs> yeah <laughs> i couldn't yeah. even pretend right so yeah <laughs> but you know when when we're talking about people who um you know, they, they, for example, if you work in, um, you know, the health services, if you're working with the elderly, for example, and in Australia, you, you, you have to get the vaccine. You have to be vaccinated in order to continue doing that yeah. type of work. And, and, you know, these people who've been doing it for 10, 20 years and they're very passionate about it and they genuinely care about the elderly and they want to continue doing that job, they have no other choice. Um, so I guess then it's a matter of, you know, if you're skeptical, it's a matter of taking the vaccine and just crossing your fingers that you don't have any complications, but, but, you know, that's the level of control that we're talking about now. It's, um, uh, you know, it's just, and, and the other thing too, is that all these, uh, the authorities now have, um, in, in Australia, they have the power to, to actually go into someone's social media account and uh, you know, edit information, delete information, add information um, without a search warrant as well, uh, for at least three days before um, getting that warrant. So, you know, there's there's just been, and and this this all happened, you know, sort of I suppose in response to. I think it's it, it's really you know it, it's interesting the things that they sneak in um, <laughs> while everyone's distracted, you know. It, they suddenly have new powers and um you know the the authorities just seem to be really um you know the, the level of control is just so extreme now it's uh and and there's not much we can do about it i i feel it's sort of it, it it's just sort of you know obviously there are there are people who are in situations where they can maybe live independently like yourself and 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 uh uh, you know, maybe financially independent, et cetera. I'm not too sure what your situation is around that. But, um, and I, I think a lot of people, if they if they had the, the freedom to do that, they would. Um, I, I think every, you know, well, a lot of people can sense that, you know, look, they, they don't want to be a part of that. Um, they want to yeah. distance them, themselves from it. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, um, I mean, the, point you made about a healthcare worker having no choice that's a microcosmic example and I think you've moved to the macrocosmic example that most people feel they have no choice if they don't they're not they don't have some sort of financial independence they Mm -hmm. feel that they have no choice but to stay in the system even though it's closing down around them right Mm -hmm. yeah well Like my idea for this workshop, I don't know if you know, if you saw it, but I've decided I'm hoping to start this workshop, Exit Strategies in the End Times, uh, is is around this question. And one of the linchpins of it, I'd say, and what I feel is um, 
why my experience is valuable or one of the areas of my experience that is valuable in this regard is that I, I've done this without a safety net. I've mm. proved to myself that you can go out, go outside the system, quote unquote, and just not be dependent on the system, let's say, yeah. um, without any safety net. That anyone at any time can simply choose to become homeless, to put it simply. Hmm. Now, you That's want true. to choose the right place. I chose, I consciously chose the worst place, which was Morocco. And I knew that, that would be one of the worst places because I knew from what I read about it that they didn't really respect foreigners. They considered Nazarenes don't even have a soul, that they're easily picking their fair game, that it's a violent culture, etc., etc. And so I partly picked it for that reason. I thought, well, I might as well just go somewhere where it's going to be really, really hard because that will allow me to really summon, force me to summon my resources. Um, but it but it was okay, is the thing. Like I, and maybe it wasn't the worst place. I'm sure there are worse places. And I did end up befriending Paul Bowles, you know. And I also partly went there because I knew I'd be able to get high, even if I couldn't eat, which obviously I wouldn't recommend to anyone now. Um, but the point being, anyway, is that it's mostly an idea that we have to stay in the system if we can't somehow create a sufficiently perfect alternative. Yeah. That's mostly yeah. an idea. And even at a, you know, a, a less extreme level, because most people listening or otherwise aren't really going to want to hear or even think about the possibility of just choosing to be homeless. Or well, I personally think it's a better option now. I really do. Although, of course, they're probably rounding up the homeless. So, again, where you're homeless is very important. Um, but as a, as a less extreme example, we, yeah, we came here and, yeah, we, okay, we, I do have, we do have some, a nest egg, so we've got a buffer. But we could have bought a property here in Spain for as little as 5,000 euro or something like that we really could have there's some incredibly cheap properties and then if you do your own renos there's even properties which have electricity and they could be lived in maybe not for that little but very little and then um the if you're in a rural area then the neighbors are already all growing their own produce and you just have good neighborly relations which we found is very easy and they just keep wanting to give give you produce yeah. so it's actually not that hard. You might think it is, and people might mm. think it is, but it seems like a huge step to go from completely technologically dependent and you know, dependent on the superstructure of a town or a city to just living in nature hand-to-mouth. It's not as extreme as it appears, necessarily.
Yeah, okay. It's interesting to hear your perspective on that because I think, yeah, people are naturally going to be sceptical and and I think that there's also a lot of lot of fear around completely changing your life and, you know, sort of uprooting your life and, say, moving to another country and moving to a remote area and, 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 and that sort of thing. So that's it's interesting to hear your perspective because I, I guess there are all sorts of options that I simply, you know, a lot of other people wouldn't, wouldn't be aware of at all um, because, yeah. you know, I mean, in my case, I've, um, well, I've never left the country you know, so, um, and I, I have to say though, I have been lately when you mentioned moving to Spain, I mean, I, I did actually start researching, uh, other countries. I, I had a little bit of a look into Spain and, and my feeling is that, um, uh, you know, maybe eventually that, that will be, you know, an option worth exploring seriously because, because I would say that, uh, you know, particularly in Australia, uh, you know, the authorities, uh, they're only going to be, you know, clamping down and, and, and sort of on the population more and more and removing more of our freedoms and, and so on. I, I certainly can't see the whole, uh, you know, COVID drama ending anytime soon either. It seems to be very much a case of, um, well, yeah, it's going to be something that will continue on into the future and and it's 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 so convenient for the authorities i guess because they can you know there can be another wave of covid and and and, you know maybe things will ease off restrictions will ease off for a while and then they'll they'll clamp down on people again and there'll be other lockdowns etc so it's such Mm -hmm. an effective tool of control isn't it you know it's uh keep people in a in a state of perpetual fear around this you know uh, so-called virus um but yeah look i i have to say i'm interested in hearing your thoughts on and and you know your because it's kind of like you've you've put yourself in a situation where i guess you're kind of uh you know kind of the guinea pig <laughs> so to speak and you can kind of report back to us as to as to what you've discovered um living mm-hmm. in spain and living in an alternative way so yeah Inspiring. Yeah, well, that's that's the plan, and yeah, to inspire, yeah, and possibly instruct. I guess the instruction would come if people were willing to be inspired. Yeah, there are other people doing it, and the people ahead of me, way ahead of me, of course, but they're not necessarily making a, a meal out of it. And there are people. I mean, I noticed already in comments in the blog there are people who are following what I'm doing, who are doing the same in parallel, and they've been doing it. so my sense is is that uh, my sense is is that there's a kind of underground movement I don't really like the term movement not movement in the political sense but movement just in the basic sense you know like water moves or ants move across the land just move, think something is moving in the human energy field so that those of us who are more attuned to our bodies and what our bodies are picking up are picking up that this is it's uh the 11th hour it's it's red alert now Mm. and and we don't have very much time to move 
to respond to our what our instincts are telling us and uh, and so that, that that will be happening uh probably not very much in terms of a percentage of the human population but i imagine it would be distributed all across the planet and if there's enough pockets of human organisms who are becoming sentient enough to to be guided by that sentience in such a way that they can thrive they can continue to survive and and flourish then uh, well, I don't want to get too highfalutin too soon, so I'll pull back a bit. But th- those, as long as we have an internet and a way to communicate, that those different pockets can communicate and there can be some sort of soft network maybe that comes into form. It'll have to go offline at some point because the, the forces of control, I think right now at least they don't care too much about outliers because, well, as long as they can get 90% of people hurting the way they want to do, a few stragglers here and there in, the, in nature, that's just not really a problem, not a massive concern as far as sending out the drones to, to you know, incinerate them or what have you. But I think what's behind this agenda is something deeply anti-life and anti-human and that it really is trying to eradicate all consciousness everywhere as i say you know my paranoia is off the chart there but not unjustified so i think we do that window probably will close completely at some point in terms of us being able to communicate via the internet the internet internet's going to come so controlled and so weaponized that it just won't be safe to use it or possible but in the interim, it seems to me, or at least it's occurred to me recently, that if, if pockets like this arise across the planet, then no one who's looking for this kind of option will be too far from something like that that's happening. Hmm. Yep. It's like okay. the 12 tribes okay. of Israel. Right? Maybe there'll just be 12 centers and there'll be room for 12,000 in each center. Probably should censor that. i worry a little bit about um this isn't my major worry but i as a someone who writes books um i worry about you know it's kind of like well you publish a book and and you know what what's the main major store that will be selling your book it's amazon so oh yeah um, no i don't (laughs) I don't even let them uh, sell me anymore. Well, at least I've tried to withdraw. I took 16 months of hell off. Right. Yeah, I yeah. think we're um, I think we're close to the crunch there in terms of you forget about your career, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's... If you wanted to be Jordan Peterson, it's too late. You know, laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's kind of like all that all those egotistical pursuits of, you know, famous author and, uh, or documentary maker or whatever. Um, I guess all of that stuff is, 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 uh, is, is no longer possible. I mean, it's um, maybe it is just a matter of, and maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, I have well, to yeah, say what happened to Jordan. Sorry. I didn't want to oh, up, but, uh, well, that's, that's an interesting case. Yeah. yeah. Would you actually would you like to unpack that because that is a, a very interesting topic? Okay, well, and it could segue into the Chuck 
conversation. By the way, you could always cut this in two, and you can change your name on on here. It's simple as rename, regardless. Oh, of okay. Name. Yeah, right. Just hit rename. So we could always split it in two and have a chuck in to do that. Sure. But anyway, um, uh, but yeah, it seems like a, a reasonable segue. Um, I mean, I didn't, I don't follow, I didn't follow Jordan Peterson after he, he didn't pay attention to my Save Jordan Peterson campaign, and nobody else got on board. So I'm sorry, we couldn't save him. I mean, I tried. Yeah, I guess his his family probably saved him anyway, which is more appropriate. I think he he did get rescued from that situation, but um, it seemed to me that yeah, there was no doubt that his soul was in jeopardy. Or, or at least his body, one or the other, or both, because somebody who gets picked that way to become a spokesman for the masses, they're either going, they're either being, I mean, they're almost certainly being handled, whether or not it's at what point the handles get put on. But the superculture doesn't allow spokespeople to have huge influence unless it feels that that influence is congruent with the larger scale operation it stands to reason any any figure that entered into the picture that was going to disrupt the algorithmic patterns that were being uh, employed uh, would would have to be neutralized or co-opted which is kind of the same thing in different ways so i mean i didn't speculate in terms of jordan peterson how much his ascent was assisted or manipulated but I certainly would speculate on how much, uh, how interesting he would become to certain groups controlling agendas as soon as his star did start to rise. And then I'd say they've got a number of strategies. Well, how do we neutralize slash co-opt this, 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 you know, new player on the, on the, in the technosphere, on the cultural landscape. And, I mean, there's two obvious ones. One is you just you destroy them, mm-hmm. but that doesn't happen very often. We do see cases of figures that become very successful and they get destroyed, and you certainly see that they just die. I mean, Bill Hicks died. We don't know if that was if that was intentional interference or not, but possibly. But whatever. Um, the other way is is you is you give them so much success so quickly that it destroys them one way or another, it either destroys them physically because they implode, they don't usually explode because that would be going just crazy violent, <laughs> or it destroys them psychologically as in they become raging egomaniacs. Yeah. So maybe not raging, but, you, well, know, you know, the power goes to their head. And, it, and that, that happened a little bit. I mean, he was... He was getting very um, kind of testy during some of his interviews, and um, I think he felt very much as though he was under attack, which is really what was happening in some of those interviews. The uh, interviewers were really, you know, obviously like they were trying to, um, uh, you know, sort of put words in his mouth and and, and that kind of thing. Um, the, the famous Kathy Newman interview, for example, I mean, that's, uh, it's a brilliant case of that. Um, and then, of course, he had his, uh, it was an addiction to, what was it again? It was um, it was some kind of anti-anxiety medication. Um, 
gosh, I'm trying to think what it was. <laughs> uh, Benzos. He had a, a di- that's right. It was Benzo. Benzo addiction. That's it. Um, and then he actually ended up going to to Russia um, for medical treatment. Yeah. And they induced a, a coma to, yeah. you know, uh, while he was, I mean, that's, and, and there was some psychological, oh, sorry, some neurological damage that he experienced as a result of that as well. Um, um, yeah. While he was trying to come clean and, and uh, you know, you could tell and we well, can see it in his, his more recent, you know, his recent interviews where he is, you know, not quite as sharp, not as, not as on the ball, not as articulate. Uh, he mm. seems to be getting a lot better, but um, you know, and, and then he, he had a new book that came out that was uh, what, you know, like 12 more rules for life, which was, you know, <laughs> well, it was, it was, a, <laughs> uh, it was actually, it was a good, reasonably good book. I, I thought I, I, I enjoyed parts of it, but, uh, and I mean, look, that was for sale in all the major, uh, you know, retail stores, like you could find it in Kmart and, and that sort of thing. So that sold really well, but but it is true that the mainstream media has, um, I suppose, stopped engaging with Jordan Peterson or, I mean, you know, there was a New York Times article that came out that was um, just complete propaganda and very anti-Jordan Peterson. Um, and so, you know, look, they, they managed to, I suppose, discredit him uh, to a well, large extent. Yeah. To some degree, but I'm just thinking this is a schismogenesis at work and mm. as in, you know, the creation of a split and the polarization and that's yeah. divide and conquer. I mean, it's one of the oldest tools of social manipulation that there are. Yeah. But it's also occurring to me that in terms of a figure, a figure who's going to be very influential, um, I think it's a way to increase the their reach actually hmm. um, because I think that people figures that are kind of universally popular they, they tend to just be fads everybody loves them for a while and then they just forget all about them and then you find the next teddy bear to cuddle right there's no controversy there's no edge there's no tension right. whereas if a figure creates polarization then there's a constant back and forth we love him we hate him he's a hero he's a villain yeah and that certainly happened with Jordan Peterson, it happens with Alex Jones, David Icke polarizes people. Um, I think I think it's I don't think it's as simple as well if if the mainstream and Trump, well look at Trump, the mainstream tried to discredit Trump. Does that mm-hmm. mean that Trump really was a loose cannon who was working against the system? No. People still believe that. But you yeah. have to double think to believe that. I, I believe. I I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so, I, I suppose really you could argue that. Um, I mean, the situation was Jordan Peterson. Uh, the, I mean, the point I was trying to make is is that he is still, you know, he is still putting out interviews and writing books and and all that kind of thing. He still has you know, massive influence. He's got, you know, millions of subscribers on YouTube on his channel. So he's a still, he's still a major cultural figure. Um, but, but it, it does seem to be the case that he's not, 
uh, well, I guess it's partly because of the restrictions around travel as well, but he's, I, I can't imagine that he'll be on any of the major, you know, talk shows and, 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 and that kind of thing. Like he's not going to be, you know, touring the world and, 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 and that sort of thing. So he is like his, his health is, has been uh, significantly damaged. He's, he's going to be having to deal with that for the rest of his life. It's, it's, it's obviously, it's going to be very much touch and go with his health. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know, you're, you're suggesting that, that they did manage to, to that their campaign of, of trying to discredit or, you know, bring down Jordan Peterson. Do you think it was effective? To, to some extent uh well i think at least i'm thinking now i mean I, it's true i i haven't paid attention to jordan peterson since he disappeared really yeah. as you know i wrote a series about him and i was going to write a book about him i was that interested in the phenomenon the jordan peterson phenomenon yeah uh, and partly it was driven by envy I, uh, but i made no secret of that it's like well he's what's happening why is that happening to him why is that not happening to me and so that yeah. was partly what motivated me to to really look more deeply into the Jordan Peterson phenomenon. But then, of course, my, you know, I'm a a bloodhound, always on the trail of deception or delusion. And I, so I was looking at the ways that I felt that Jordan Peterson fit the the profile for a, don't like the term profile, comes from behavioral science, fit, you know, fit the the mold of a false ceremony master, like somebody who's, who's giving seemingly profound wisdom and guidance but actually is misguiding people yeah. well it's not either or i definitely get tried to give him some credit the guy had some genuinely valuable insights but um but yeah so when he when he when he had the health crisis and when he disappeared uh it wasn't that i lost interest because of that or anything but that was what was around the time that i was really realizing i wasn't going to continue with that series yeah. and and so since then, I haven't really heard his name doesn't come up much, mm. uh, although it's come up recently, actually. And reading Chuck's book, some of that, uh, even the jokes, I mean, even if only in the jokes, it was obvious that Chuck had yeah. been influenced by Jordan. right? Um, but also somebody else who wants to interview me was uh, one of Jordan's patients when Jordan was still a therapist. So it's like he's, it's like a haunting, right? It's like Jordan's coming back into my own psychosphere. Yeah. Um, and uh, certainly I feel for him in terms of what he went through, what he's still going through when you're describing the long-term effect. And so well, what was occurring to me when you asked that question was that um, it's not necessarily that there's going to be an agenda to reduce his influence because mm. certainly influences are useful, but to shape and control the influence and make sure that it's not, as I already said, it doesn't jeopardize, jeopardize other agendas or interfere with them. So it sounds to me as though his wings had to be clipped. He had to be humbled or brought down to earth or hobbled. Hobbled is the term. Like if you've got a goat and you want to get its milk, you yeah. don't yeah. you don't necessarily want to incarcerate it because it will lose its goatly nature and and there'll be some drawbacks from that. But if you tie its feet together, you hobble it. Then and I actually don't think this is cruel in the case of goats. I've seen goats here that they seem quite happy, so it's a practice I might do. But in this case, with a human being, I'd say it is it's inherently cruel. Um, 
it's like breaking kneecaps more than just tying a rope. So it seems as though what was done to Jordan Peterson, and I'd have to heavily speculate, but I mean, really, the guy is addicted. I mean, well, there's, there's actually many layers to this because one of my criticisms of Jordan Peterson was if he's a deep psychology guy who talks about Jung, what's he doing on anti-anxiety meds? Yeah, that's, okay. that's a very good question, yeah. Yeah, because because that goes totally against the methodology of deep psychology, which is you let those feelings come up and you mm. let them come through and you find out where the source is. So I think he was already too dependent on a systematized, institutionalized form of mind control disguised as therapy. So he was already susceptible to being controlled that way just by taking the meds. But then he gets addicted, which, of course, they're designed one way or another to do. And then he becomes easy to control like any addict, just take away his meds, not literally in this case, but kind of literally. And then when he tries to get off them, then he falls ill. He can't get help in his own country because, I don't know, maybe they'd kill him. Who knows how dangerous it was for him in, in, in Canada. Um, but or the US be even worse. So he goes to Russia. I mean, I don't know exactly the backstory, but he ends up in Russia anyway, where they help him by putting him in a coma. Well, what happens while he's in a coma? I mean, even if it was a benign coma and there wasn't any interference going on, as you pointed out, the things happen, you know, the brain can can uh, uh, atrophy and whatever else. But certainly he, he could have been manipulated during that period. There's no doubt. It's not overly speculative to say if they wanted to um, program a human being, well, that's a great way to do it. <laughs> Basically got him unconscious for however many days. I don't know that as I say, it's speculative. But anyway, he comes out the other side and he's not quite himself. So, and then, yeah, okay, off you go, Jordan, back to your station. You're free to go. You can, you can carry on you know, didacticizing or being being the uh, uh, demagogue that we that we allowed you to become. But um, more now we've got you, not necessarily on side, but I mean, it could be, I, it could be that it was, it backfired in a certain sense and that it was a good humbling experience for him. Is he more humble now? I would guess he is. Um, I, I would say so. Um, yeah. You know, I... <clears throat> I think it was Jordan Peterson or my, my uh, perspective on his work is that, and, and people like him, these sort of major cultural figures, <clears throat> I feel that they're sort of satisfying a certain appetite uh, that people have. Um, and that, that seems to be the case with Jordan Peterson is that, I think, well, okay, first of all, he's able to articulate very complex ideas and emotions that people are feeling. He's sort of giving a voice to that. <clears throat> and that really seems to be his role. Um, he's sort of giving expression to those feelings that people have. And I guess it's it's particularly young men, um, mm-hmm. you know, sort of frustrated young men. He, he seems to attract we definitely attracts a lot of, uh, you know, young guys who are sort of a little bit ostracized, um, you know, poor social skills, etc. Some of these guys also seem to be, you know, on the autistic spectrum. 
and so on. Um, and I suppose we could, could you put yourself in that group. I mean, overall, as in being well, well, it, by the thing is, around. yeah, I mean, okay. So in, in my case, it's, uh, it's, it's really just a matter of being, I suppose, someone who's, uh, you know, reasonably sort of creative. I mean, I, I do a lot of writing and that's a big focus in my life. Um, you know, the, the, the things that interest me, writing, philosophy, etc. these things have no value in society. So, uh, you know, naturally I'm going to be sort of an outcast. Um, and, you know, that, that's really where I position myself, I suppose. It's, um, and look, I mean, yeah, I mean, Jordan Peterson, it, he talks about these, these guys um, in, in sort of, you know, the outcasts uh, in, in sort of quite condescending terms at, at times as well. I mean, he, he does refer to, you know, people who, who don't have any status as, uh, you know, kind of like essentially losers. Like he, he basically is advocating that we all, you know, strive for some big goal in life, whether it's a career goal or, or something like that, right? So, so it's kind of like if you wanted to get the approval of Jordan Peterson, because he's kind of this father figure, I guess in order to, to make father happy, you'd have to, you know, sort of excel at your job or you'd have to go to university and get a, a fancy degree or something like that, right? So I'm very aware of that. Um, and so, I, you know, look, I don't necessarily put myself in, 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 in the category of, but it, it's hard to say. I mean, I, um, as for the, the thing about autism, well, I mean, I've already, I've been told by a psychologist that I appear to be on the autistic spectrum. Um, you know, he, he was saying that there's no point necessarily getting a formal diagnosis, but, um, you know, you, you do fit that, that description, um, and I, I would say there's there's just so many young guys. Uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily even young anymore. I'm almost I'm 37. So, <laughs> you know. But look, my oh, it's there's a lot to unpack here. I'd I'd have to describe. Mm. I'd have to go all the yeah. way back to childhood. You know. To yeah. Talk well, let's about not that. do that. Let's not do that. But let's, um, <laughs> yeah. This might not be able to have time to bring you back to, mm. to the present. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go there either. <laughs> Well, nobody does, <laughs> except they want the good parts again, right? Yeah. They want the innocence without the anguish. Yeah. So, yeah, but if we, if we dial back a little bit, a few mm. minutes to um, the more general influence of Jordan Peterson, I had a thought while you were sharing that, that is Jordan Peterson's influence could one way to critically sum it up anyway and I, I do tend to take a critical view of the guy even though I can see he's had positive influence on young men that I know yeah. and, and care about mm. uh, at least two if I include you but I think more have said one one person I know said that Jordan saved their life through his influence but what I was going to uh, suggest was that Jordan's kind of influence do you think it one way to describe it would be that he helps autistic people become more neurotypical. Yeah, maybe. Um, that's a that's a possibility. 
Um, look, and, and, and I wouldn't say necessarily that, um, you know, that all of the, or necessarily even a large chunk of these guys are, are on the spectrum, but he, he does seem to attract, you know, disenfranchised uh, young men. And, 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 you know, they do seem to be, uh, you know, obviously these, these are guys who are, you know, who read his books, who are interested in, in, in Jung and, and, you know, they're interested in those sorts of ideas that I, I suppose are a little bit outside, outside the mainstream as well, you know, so um, that's the thing. Like most people aren't going to necessarily sit down and, 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 and read a Jordan Peterson book. They're quite weighty tomes or necessarily listen to his lectures. They're not really right. interested in that kind of, you know, deep analysis of psychology and politics and so on. Well, or if they are, they're, they're interested in it for its... I mean, I would say that Jordan Peterson's appeal is more in... And I've said this about other figures too, at least Striever, for example. It's more in being Jordan Peterson. The people who are drawn to Jordan Peterson. Yeah. They want to be, get close to Jordan Peterson. They mm. just they like, I said, it's the father figure. And they want yeah. then to get some sort of validation from this figure that they've projected onto... And the ultimate validation would be, of course, to replace Jordan Pearson, to become as as powerful as he is. Yeah. So that I think that that's the primary inspiration, which is why people who care about Jordan Pearson, mostly young men, but not entirely, people who are into Jordan Pearson, they tended, to, in the past anyway, to be really into him. Like there was no, mm. it wasn't just, oh, I'm interested in that lecture or this lecture. It was... Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. It was that yeah. kind of interest. Yeah? yeah, and yeah, exactly. Like he, you know, for some people, he's sort of like a sort of messiah figure, almost not not even just a father. And uh, yeah. you know, he talks about young guys approaching him on the street, and you know, they they go up and they start crying, and you know, mm-hmm. saying or oh, things like what you were saying, like, "Oh yes, you saved my life," and you know, before I was. It's it's always one of those stories of you know self improvement and uh, you know I got back on my feet I was I was depressed I was lonely I was I didn't have a girlfriend or whatever and then I decided to I found a goal in life and I started working hard and going to the gym and you know uh, now I'm I, you know something I'm an engineer now or something like that right like it's it's a story of success people love those sorts of stories um Mm. it does seem a little bit sad that you know it's someone like Jordan Peterson who you know seems to be the only person giving these people direction as well um but you know obviously a lot of positive stuff as as he's had a lot of positive influence on people yeah
Well, I think, and I think we can relate this to Chuck's book if we get eventually. Yeah. There are certain things in there that remind me of this, that mm. I think that Jordan's influence at its best is a way to, it's working on the outside, like cognitive behavioral therapy works on the outside. So it's a way to inspire young men into forms of behavior that will make them feel more confident and make them like themselves more and yeah, make them more effective socially and perhaps economically and so on. The downside, the obvious downside is, is, is this way he's just turning them into cogs in the machine. He's just making good mm. workers out of them would be a way to put it very simply and cynically. And the, and the part of the evidence that I put on YouTube, for example, Jordan, he just, he believes in the system. He really does. I mean, he says, this yeah. is bad and this is bad. And he hates the cultural Marxism and the leftism and, and the sort of woke. And, you know, he, he fights all these demons mm. that aren't really imaginary. I think he, he, he has been fighting some worthwhile battles, at least in terms of drawing attention to those gargoyles in our culture. But he's basically saying that the system works and we just need to fix it and push back, push it back by about 70 years and get back to the 1950s or whatever, <laughs> whenever he thinks it went wrong, right? Yeah. So that's super naive and it comes through in other ways. But it's a, it's a naivety that's... Uh, it's useful, not just to the, the system that you know wants to keep on creating good cogs to keep it running, but to Jordan himself, like if he was yeah. really radicalized, he wouldn't have the following that he has. So that that's the, the first thing I'd say, um, and and that that that's a, that pertains to a general principle. I know you, you do some therapy, and it's in the book that but I'm not sure what kind of therapy, but anyway, that there's, um, there's a phase of in therapeutic restoration, let's say, of becoming more whole where we do need to strengthen our ego and get it, just get it in better shape. Because if we're, if we're racked with shame and self-loathing and guilt and social anxiety, we're just not going to be able to even begin any kind of deep excavation because there's no foundation, right? We're just going to fall apart. We already feel like we can barely hold ourselves together. So there's definitely a process where you strengthen the identity in order that the identity is not is sufficiently non-defensive and you know, non-reactive, that we can then start going into really deeper stuff and, and where the identity is going to start coming unraveled and we will start to realize that there's actually no real deeper meaning in getting laid, in being high social status, in having a good job. But none of these things have much intrinsic meaning in the context of a, a fully embodied experience of being here. Yeah. This is even before getting to questions of the eternal soul or you know, Christian kind of ideas that Sean Peterson plays with a lot. Uh, even before getting to that, there's, there's a level of being that's, that's so much more real than this first level that, that it's willing to then abandon all of that self-work and self-improvement and say, it doesn't matter if I fall apart and become a total dweeb all over again, if that's the way back to my true essence. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, look, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with with people who, 
you know, some of the people I admire most are, are people who don't necessarily, you know, fit the mold and who, uh, you know, they don't have very good social skills. Maybe they are autistic, et cetera, right? Like these are people who I think are playing a very important role, you know, within society. Maybe they don't present very well. Like they're not going <laughs> to, they're not going to be great at public speaking or something like that. Um, I, I suppose the problem here is, and it's not really a problem, but it's, it's, it's just how society views those people, you know, like the message seems to be, I suppose, from even people like Jordan Peterson is that we need to, these people need to become winners, you know, like uh, they're losers and they need to become winners. They need to, they need to do more. They need to, I don't know, they need to really blossom as human beings and, 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 you know, work on all these different aspects of their personalities and all this kind of thing. Like, you know, the, the whole idea of, uh, you know, being a more polished person or, you know, that kind of thing, having better communication skills, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and, and look, some people spend a lot of, they put a lot of time and energy into the whole self-improvement um, sort of program, if you will. Um, I mean, I, I know guys who, you know, yeah, okay, they go to the gym every day. They, they've joined, you know, Toastmasters to try and <laughs> get good at communicating. Um, you know, they, they, they're obviously out there in the dating market or they're trying to, uh, you know, get a girlfriend or eventually get a wife, marry, et cetera. They're trying to pursue all those worldly things, I suppose, um and that this all this stuff is obviously it, it's it's part of the culture it's um i mean you could theoretically you could discard all of that and you could say well what do you actually find fulfilling in life do you actually does any of that stuff actually serve you as a person which is really what you were saying before right um and there was a topic i wanted to to introduce here which is um uh jed mckenna so I uh, I read his Enlightenment trilogy, which was a very interesting experience because um, for me it was uh, it was an actually ab- absolutely devastating book because <laughs> you know he he sort of just uh, you know sort of unravels everything he he sort of picks everything apart mm-hmm. and and in my case it was a matter of um, you know, I, I could sort of barely get out of bed for a couple of weeks after I read that book because for me it sort of felt like I was, you know, because he's talking about the um, really, you know, really sort of questioning the ego and, you know, stripping away those layers of the ego. Uh, in, in my case, it felt very much like I was sort of dying or something. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying, certainly not making a claim that I attained enlightenment and became you know or achieved the the state that he's describing but um it was it was it was sort of like uh you know i'd been i'd been carrying a very heavy weight around with me and i just sort of let go of all this stuff so i found that to be a very healing book but it was kind of healing in quite a devastating way um so my life recently has been sort of focused around um 
you know, the things that I place value on now are very different to the things that I valued, say, even, you know, six months ago or, or 12 months ago. I would, I would say that I was a very different person back then. I was probably more focused on pursuing worldly goals. Uh, but these days I, I, you know, I get a lot of fulfillment out of just very simple activities, um, which I would say is the, you know, the simple joy of, you know, going for a walk or, or something of that nature. Um, and I, I do live alone and uh, I'm finding too that I'm able to handle that a lot easier as well. It's sort of like I, I don't necessarily feel as I need to rely on anyone else or on any particular system or ideology or religion or anything like that. Um, and there was something else I wanted to mention. I know this is getting a little bit complicated, but um, the last time, so as you'll remember, you, you did an interview or you had a discussion with, uh, you know, my ex-girlfriend and, right. uh, and this was, yeah, it would have been like a year ago. It was the pandemic had happened. Um, everything was, you know, everyone was sort of in a, in a state of panic. Um, so our relationship fell apart. And interestingly, she actually became a born again Christian, <laughs> right? Yeah, you mentioned that from a witch to a born again Christian. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, and that was very dramatic. And, um, and I, I, I felt as though she was, simply trying to cling to something uh and and christianity offered everything that she was looking for you know and uh i mean she's she's now got another channel on youtube and because she had a witchcraft sorry witchcraft channel before occult witchcraft channel now she's, she's got more a... open to being critical of gay marriage now as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so her politics have changed um and so really she took on a whole new identity virtually overnight. Um, and I, my reaction to that is, you know, and I'm not saying there's nothing of value in Christianity. I think it has a lot to offer people. Um, and, you know, I've got a couple of copies of the Bible that I read every now and then, but I also read, you know, uh, lots of other books as well, or spiritual books, etc. But, it was very much a case of her wanting to cling to something. And now I've kind of got to the point where I realize that there's, there's nothing to actually cling to. There's no philosophy or ideology or religion that I can actually seek comfort in. Um, so it's kind of like you're completely on your own in that sense. Um, mm. And that can be quite liberating as well. I mean, I'm sure that I'm not saying that I'm not uh, free of these these ideas and, and, and uh, lies and, and, and all that kind of thing. I'm, you know, still caught up in all that stuff, but I just know that, and, you know, there was a period there where I was, you know, about to, I was very tempted to choose the Christian path as well. Um, and, you know, sort of go all in and, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of like, save, as well. yeah, save me Jesus kind of thing, you know, like, that's all I've got. I've, I've, at least I've got the love of Jesus to, you know, and I was also meeting other, you know, I was meeting Christians and you, you, you know, they'd take you out for, for tea and, and, uh, you know, invite you to their house and you'd have these, 
you know, very warm meetings and discussions and you kind of felt, you know, nestled within that group, within that community. And it was quite a nice feeling. It was very, very comforting. Um, but then I, mm. I just started to question it and um, I could see that it was just another, another trap. And so that's it. I, I sort of broke through that and, uh, and now it's, you know, it's a case of, well, I guess it's probably a case of if I did want to feel as I'm part of a group and, and I do think finding a community is an important thing. It, certainly finding a community at this point would be a lot more of a challenge. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to just rock up at the local church. That's, that's not going to serve me. So, you know, um, anyway. So you mean a challenge in terms of finding a, an affinity that wasn't around an ideology, or do you mean a challenge just in more practical terms? Um, the first one. So, yeah, but isn't isn't you know a particular ideology or or what have you? Um, but but you know at the, the same time too, I I think I'm probably at a point where I'm I am just accepting of the fact that you know, people are the way they are. And I, I, I certainly don't seek to change anyone. I mean, I, I can still enjoy the, the company of, of Christians or Buddhists or, or what have you. Um, I would say when I was younger, I was probably, I would have a tendency to get, you know, annoyed at these people and I would want to change their mind and I'd want to, um, you know, bring them over to my side, if you will. But now it's probably more just a case of acceptance. You know, I, if someone seeks comfort in Christianity uh, at this point in time, if, if that's what, you know, does it for them and then they, you know, and that's fine with me. I don't mind. I mean, I, I hope they get something out of it. Um, but I, I, I guess at the same time, I do feel that they're maybe a little bit deluded. <laughs> so, you know, it, it probably sounds a bit egotistical, me saying, well, look, I, I think I have a clearer picture um than they do but again maybe i don't i don't know well i was nodding not at the maybe egotistical but the hmm. uh, uh, at your sense that it's better to find peace of mind and a kind of well-being and a kind of faith yeah. without any kind of conceptual basis to it or philosophical basis. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I mean I'm in I'm a straight I'm a liminal Christian. And one of the things I say about Christian as an identification figure, which sums it up for me, is it's presumptuous. It would be presumptuous of me to say I'm Christian. Because Christian yeah. change the pronunciation, it's Christian, which is Christ-like. And only, only Christ can say, hey, Jason, you are truly Christian. And I'd be very happy if on that day. Yeah. So I have an absolute faith in something and I don't mind using Christian language for it at mm. all. Uh, particularly if I'm with Christians, because I know it'll go down well, right? I mean, yeah. I'm not oblivious to social etiquette either. Um, but like you... If I am with Christians or I do hear that this or that person is a Christian, Jada comes to mind. 
if you get back to Jordan Peace on this, but I have a different objection to Jordan Peace and the fact that he's not, he doesn't seem to really embrace Christianity in a true way. Um, but this is part of my sort of paradox that, yeah, if I'm with, then I tend to have your response. I tend to think, well, you you kind of, you stop too soon. If you think that you can just identify with a, a name tag and a group and a belief system and you're saved, mm. I don't believe it. I mean, I'm not ruling it out because that's part of the humility of being a Christian, um, deliberately talking in paradoxes. Um, But for me, it doesn't seem to work. Like, I can't just say, yes, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart and and I'm going to believe I'm saved. That's absurd. I'm closer to, or I'm as close to the Jed McKenna view, although I think that that's also as questionable as the Christian ideology. I mean, there's a, there's, mm. there's, it's hard to say, that, it'd be hard to claim that Jed McKenna's books promote an ideology, but they are, they're words for one thing. They're just language based and they're not, they're not necessarily true. Mm. Just as the yeah. Bible isn't necessarily true. Like he, he didn't necessarily experience the things he's writing about. He may just be a very good writer. In fact, that's my personal estimation after several years with Jed McKenna, not with him, but yeah, uh, right. So, so, but but they're useful. The nail to drive out a nail, uh, mm. and I am close to that in in sort of spirit and feeling to some of the sentiments of Jed McKenna, which is netty netty. Just say no to everything. It's just all bullshit. Yeah, at a certain level, right? So, um, so like I wanted to wind that up somehow, I'll bring it to some other point about you, which is, um, yeah, well, what you're asking about, fine, or speculating or wondering about, you know, will you? <clears throat> it seems to me it's, it's, there are two questions, and that one is, you know, how do I find my route to, to God? to truth, to reality. And the other is, how do I find my place in the human energy field? Hmm. Yeah. Those are two questions. And often they get conflated, as you've observed in your own life. If you become a Christian, you get to hang out with Christians. So you think you found your community. You think you found your place in humanity, quote, unquote. But Hmm. it isn't necessarily your true place in the configuration of the body of the human energy field that I feel corresponds with the Christian idea of the body of Christ, that human, human, human beings make the, ch- the, the, the church of Christ. Yeah? We make a church insofar yeah. as we're all together uh, with that orientation towards mm. what Christ represents. That's not the same thing as what Christians are doing. They're hanging out, drinking tea and making cookies and that kind of thing. It's not equivalent so, and part of the reason it's not equivalent is what I think what you're pointing out, that if you have an ideological, if, if there's any ideology at all in your orientation and you find purpose or meaning in something that can be reduced to language and belief and cultural status and cultural, you know, uh, um, habits and routines, it's not going to see you through. Yeah. So then, so then... What I'm looking for is, is what I'm going to be presumptuous, what you're looking for. And I don't think group fits the bill, although that term does come up in the, in the activities that I'm part of, of this group. 
it's not really a group because if people come and go and a group to me is like the avengers actually in the avengers people characters come and go but it's more or less consistent i don't know it's somehow and it has a name and it has a purpose but what i'm part of it's constantly changing who's who's there and what we're talking about and why we're doing it and it okay so a lot of it centers around david shana who has this experience that he's called enlightenment and he shares it but it doesn't only i mean i do my own meetings and stuff with people who don't necessarily want to have anything to do with the devashana so it's not so even there you can't say that it's a sort of club yeah. like the only rule for my club is you don't you're so sobriety that's the only hard and fast rule you can't be drinking and smoking to putting shit in your body mm. uh, otherwise it's pretty much open to everyone uh, and the and, and so then the affinity there is uh it's not ideological and it's not even about preferences or beliefs that's kind of ideology and except for the the uh, sobriety rule it's not really about lifestyle either it's it's a more mysterious kind of affinity which if i had to try and name it probably would also sound presumptuous or arrogant but those who are sincerely and with a sufficient degree of sentience or awareness seeking connection to reality. Mm, yeah. And that, I mean, that, that does sound highfalutin because lots of people think they are doing that, but they're not. So, and I can't say I can really determine that, but at the level I'm at, I can, if you know what I mean. Like I've got to at least, at least be sincerely and genuinely seeking the truth that they can deal with me because I'm not that easy to deal with like I don't suffer fools gladly so you're you're talking about a sort of honest way of living and relating to other people um and I can relate to that because I do feel that there are quite a few people who are just sort of caught up in, you know, sort of playing the game of life and, you know, playing games with other people as well. There are people who kind of very much enjoy that whole process. Um, and it's all about, you know, making a good appearance and or getting what you want from other people. Um, you know, so, for example, um, and, I mean, we all do this, obviously, to an extent, and there are things that we do want from other people, but there are dishonest ways of, of going about it. And, you know, when you recognize that in yourself, you see those qualities, um, you know, which I guess is really, it's the, the ego doing its thing. And if you recognize that, you know, you see that sort of recognize that disgust in yourself and you want to overcome that, or you want to, you know, find a way out of that, um, you know, if you make that sort of pledge to yourself, I think I would say that's probably where I'm at. And from what I understand, that's probably where you're at and the people who, you know, follow your work and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, like they, and that also, that involves obviously rejecting a large part of, 
you know, society and the culture and seeing it for what it is, you know, it's this sort of big monster that's <laughs> really quite terrifying and um, distasteful. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I and look, you, if some people do make the choice to to go deeper into that world and, um, you know, they, they want all the, the goodies that, you know, society has to offer. Um, and there are other people, obviously, who maybe, you know, they choose a more honest path. You know, I guess that's, that's one way of looking at it. I'm not saying it's that simple. Um, but yeah, I, mm. I do, I do definitely, um, I understand where you're coming from there. And, uh, you know, it's a simple choice, isn't it? You know, do I, do I want to become a more authentic human being? You know, it's really quite simple. Yeah. It is simple, but I think you're right to zero in on the disgust factor. And that's mm. even one that I had thought about making central to my exit strategies workshop, that a healthy sense of, we need to develop a healthy sense of disgust for that which is disgusting, mm. that which is repellent and anti-life. And if we do, uh, or as we do, it's difficult because we're, we, as the more we sensitize ourselves to our visceral sense of disgust for society the more we'll recognize the society in us and, and there's there are disgusting things about ourselves you know and there's yeah. a danger we'll slide back into shame and self-rejection if we're experiencing disgust for our habits or our attachments or our uh, mm, identifications and so on uh, but my idea anyway is is that that disgust can be a positive disgust because it's repulsion. It, it, if we if we allow ourselves to feel repulsion for certain things, it repels us. It pushes us away from them. And as we get pushed away, like a gravitational field, it creates some space between us and the revolting habits that we've taken on and the revolting aspects of society and culture that we 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 imbibe and depend on or believe in or trust in. And as that space gets created then the gravitational pull is less, so it gets easier and easier to disengage. And and, and at a certain point, we'll start to feel the pull of something else, which is the pull of life and the pull of nature and the pull of what is good and wholesome for our our souls. And so then there's a reorientation, which I, I, I think it's inseparable and this is so central to all of my output, that we can't really find, identify and embrace the good without a full, a fuller, a deeper awareness of the evil. We have to see what is evil in this world and in ourselves and allow ourselves to see it and, and experience the horror and the disgust and not try and change it or fix it. There's mm. just a natural it has a natural push of revulsion, just naturally. So, and that's the function of evil, you could say. As yeah. long as we're sensitized to our visceral disgust for it, it will push us back into the good. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, and, you know, there's, like, part of, um, you know, this is a, another sort of I guess philosophical concept but I I don't know if you've looked into the work of um UG Krishnamurti he comes up Um, in the McKenna books I always get confused 
with that yeah. name because then there was a second Christian mercy. Is that the first <laughs> one or the second one? It's the first one, isn't it? Um, is there's, it the there's, one? I think, Jiddu Krishnamurti. Oh, no, second one. It's the one who says fucking enlightenment. There's no such thing. Yeah. 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 It's that one. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a bit familiar with him. Yeah. And I, I don't know about his, the anti guru. That's the one. And I, you know, again, I I don't know if he's authentic or not. Uh, but he does talk a lot about the, um, you know, the, the harmful influence of culture and how we're sort of caught up in it and, and sort of embedded in it, so to speak. Um, so I, I've been reflecting on that a lot um, recently. And I mean, I, I think, you know, if, if you were to get to a point where, you know, you've, you've sort of discarded all those layers, um, well, I suppose it would mean that, you know, the reality that, that we experience now, I mean, it would, it would completely shift your whole perception of the world. You, I mean, I suppose you get to a point where really you've moved past disgust and uh, it's really just sort of a state of acceptance, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe at that point you do sort of see the world as, as more of a, of a dream as, you know, as, as Maya, probably not the correct pronunciation, but, you know, as illusion. Yeah. And, well, I uh, think the social world, sorry to cut you off, but we're yeah. talking philosophy now, hmm. so it's fair game, I guess. But I think the, <laughs> social, the social world yeah. can be seen as an illusion. I think it's a leap to then take it to the natural world and physical reality itself as Maya. Yeah. I think that, that maybe that's a later phase, but I'm certainly not there. Uh, but seeing the social reality that we've created and through complicity and sort of collective theory of mind where we all just go along with each other's bullshit yeah. and we're in this dream, dream state. Absolutely. And that's the hell world. That's the hell world, yeah. I, I do wonder if you're advocating sort of paganism in, in a sense because it's sort of like, you know, sort of going back to the earth and, um, you know, getting your hands in the soil and, and all that kind of thing. And I that, That's farming, though. <laughs> I know, I know. I I, I just, I just wondered if it involved like, you know, sort of, I don't know, like, uh, you know, yeah, rituals and and that kind of, I I can't imagine that it would, but, but I, you know, it's interesting because I, I did grow up, um, you know, sort of in a, well, in kind of like a Buddhist community and my mum was, and also like a hippie community as well. She was first a part of a sort of hippie community. And I, I think you'll be you'll find that you're going to be talking to people who maybe had that kind of background and they saw how dysfunctional some of those communities were because, you know, those alternative communities where they try and grow their own food and all that kind of thing. And 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 having seen that, yeah, my my reaction is is sort of like is obviously one of skepticism because I kind of think, oh gosh, I wouldn't want to <laughs> I wouldn't want to, you know, be a part of that again, you know, but um, I suppose in this case you're describing something quite different.
Yeah, there's a good counterpoint there because I mean I talked about this recently that those communities you're talking about they their idea there's an ideology behind them. Yeah, and I'd say that's the problem. Mm. Uh, and as I mapped in Vice of Kings, um, that ideology which goes you know can be traced to Fabian society uh, through Wicca and whatnot. Uh, it's is, is compatible with organized child abuse and the sexualization of children and the woke culture that we've inherited, right? So with building hell on earth, mm. those, those communities were unintentionally and unwittingly, some of them complicit because they were uh, responding to an indoctrination of an ideology that is very sophisticated and and very manipulative and totally dishonest a wolf in sheep's clothing that's my sort of, you know nugget summation there and i can't you know juxtapose that with uh hundreds if not thousands of years and you know dozens of generations of people simply living on the land with no ideological basis to it whatsoever. They might have an ideology, they might be Christians or whatever, but their their choice to live on the land, there's, there's nothing ideological about it, nothing mm. idealist about it. They're doing it because that's what they've always done. And there are pockets, like here in Galicia, where that's true. They're still doing what they've done for, for hundreds of years, here, generation after generation. And so yeah. that's that's something else entirely because... The false identity of the ego, as you, you've been referring to the ego, uh, uh, it can't get, I mean, it, the ego is pretty sophisticated as well in terms of co-opting everything. So yeah, if you start hearing me talking, well, you probably already have actually, but uh, I mean, I'm aware that like I was with a thrift store, like I, I had a philosophy of thrift and now I'm going to be creating the philosophy of farming. But the point of that isn't to create a philosophy or an ideology. The point of that is to sh- to demonstrate not just that you two can work the land or renovate houses. I haven't got to work in them really, but and and that it's nourishing and useful and essential and a way to live that is tried and true and tested. But that this is this is a spiritual discipline in itself okay. because as without, so within. When I'm working land and destroying brambles and fighting off flies, all of that's mirroring. This is the Maya element of existence. It's mirroring internal colonizations that I'm trying to clear. I'm trying to clear channels in my body, just as I'm trying to clear channels on our on our land, and then that's stirring up lots of flies. And I'm, I'm hoping at the time, as I clear the land, there'll be less flies on this property because it's horrible. It's nightmarish how many flies there are when I'm working and sweating and they're just all over me. Um, that's a trial, that's a trial by flies, you know, that's yeah. the best of character to do that. Uh, yeah. But it does, as far as I see, that's mirroring an internal um, configuration that I'm trying to adjust and change, but I'm not going directly in by on Mani Padme Aming or doing rituals. There's nothing spiritual about my lifestyle now. In, in, in a conventional sense or in a cliche sense, well, I'm wearing a white hoodie. And obviously, attending Dave O'Shana events, he's in the light. Okay, so, but leaving that part out, as far as what I'm doing in the land and in my day to day life, uh, not counting these meetings, then no, it's not. It's not. It's, 
Yeah. It's what yeah. life itself and my own nature and instincts has led me to. How do you feel about, you know, as a writer, giving up the opportunity to, you know, put out a nice shiny book or something like that, which is, you know, obviously very satisfying for a writer. Yeah, but I've done it so many times, remember? Yeah, yeah. And, and if you do it enough times and the satisfaction doesn't last, yeah, because you want to do it again and have it again, but eventually you go, okay, what's well, like jacking off, isn't it? <laughs> so, this, this doesn't actually leave me feeling better. So yeah. I might as well just stop doing it. That was a yeah. long time with jacking off for me but books took <laughs> took a lot longer and so I, I think I consciously made this last book if it is the last as big and shiny as I could yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sat here and Max said, oh oh yeah. I've done it again <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say it's it's a very well it's it's massive it's uh it's it's very much a tome and it's uh it's got a great cover um it, it's sort Did of you get the hardback um no no um because the hardback's shiny on the inside as well so it's yeah really okay yeah, yeah right no you, you did a great job with it i have to say and and maybe it was I, I guess yeah you saw it as your opportunity to uh i guess were you kind of thinking of it as perhaps your last book and i just want to put everything that i possibly can in this one book um <laughs> sort of i mean not yeah. Obviously, I couldn't have put everything in, but yeah, yeah, it was the end. It was an end, the end of a phase, and yeah, you know, as you know, writing because you're somebody I think who puts their heart into their writing and you really care about it, and that's that's rare enough. I wouldn't say that about Jordan Pearson. I don't think he really cares about his writing. He just slaps it together and throws it out and has the best style. Hmm. Um, but I can tell that you, you care and you, you put work into every sentence. So there's a love there that's transmitted. Yeah. And that's that's essential. That makes the product of value beyond, you know, it's palpable paper. Hmm. Um, that wasn't what I was going to say. Uh, what was it? Um well, forgotten. I ended up making a different point than what I was going to make. Um, oh, yeah, that um, that you write also because you love to write. Yeah, so, that's it. So that's that's a separate thing. Like mm. I imagine, I, I mean, I'll still write. I just I wrote a newsletter which I'm hoping to send out soon for the new registrars at the site, um, and obviously emails and all the rest of it. So a love of the word and a love of writing definitely mm. can be separated from a love of books, much less a love of having a bestseller or a love of the idea of having a bestseller. Right? Yeah. There's quite a large spectrum there in terms of what, what motivates us to write. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's for, for a lot of writers, it's, um, it's really just a way of, you know, purging their system, I guess. You want to just sort of, you know, you want to want to. I mean, I know there's that that analogy of, you know, sort of taking a dump or something and flushing it away. You know, um, and I know Bukowski used that analogy as well. But, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, you're organizing your thoughts, um, you're getting it off your chest. Um, so it's a process of, you know, in a 
exploration and uh, and that kind of thing. So it's a great psychological tool, I suppose. Um, mm. Not not everyone has that 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 desire to to write, obviously, and to express themselves that way. But for people who do, it's it's you know it can be a very healing process, I suppose. You know, and obviously, too, if it's gonna if it's gonna entertain people, if people are gonna enjoy reading it, then all the better. You know. Well, I would say, and this is in 60 Minutes of Hell, that, or well, yes to the first spiritual autolysis is the phrase that Ted McKenna coined, yeah, uh, which is digesting one's own thoughts, essentially, by writing them. Mm. If you're digesting, yeah, you do turn them to shit, but not before you extract the nutrients. Yeah. So that's a good process in itself. But then the second part, yeah, of sharing it and being received by others, that's about making connections as I make specific or explicit with 60 maps of health. That yep. campaign allowed me to connect to people direct, more directly and consciously than the other books I'd written because I did all the whole process and the people who got the copies helped fund it. They, they paid for it ahead of time, essentially. Yep. And I knew their names and their addresses. And some of them, I knew them obviously already personally. So that that deeper networking, I say, deep, I have to say deeper because networking has become social. Hmm. Probably, I mean, it often was social, but this is not social networking. It's soul, it's soul networking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, um, I suppose we should probably tie things up because we've yeah. we've, we've been at it for a couple of hours. Um, yeah, well, you know what we haven't talked about in two <laughs> I know it's like we've talked about everything else, but this one thing. Um, yeah. Did you yeah. did you want to talk about it today, or? Well, no, you're right. We're at the winding winding up time. So, but I think it. I think it's a, probably a healthy sign that maybe yeah. Chuck is dead. Maybe he only had one book in him, and now now that's his coffin. <laughs> I, I just wanted to ask, though. I guess this is this is off the record now. Um, but uh, you, you know, what what was your reaction to the book? Because I, you know, I know there's there's obviously some stuff in the book that's probably a little bit distasteful, and um, you know, it's full of swear words, and 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 uh, you know, you could you could argue that it objectifies women and. Uh, you know, obviously there's... No, there's... I didn't have any of those. I mean, I didn't read enough to, to give you yeah. carte blanche. Yeah. Uh, I read the intro and the outro, essentially. Yeah. The first, I forget. But, um, so yeah, I was aware, okay, so uh, Chuck is, um, is playing with fire, we put it too strongly, but like I said, with my Harry Duran persona, which was actually inspired a bit by Jen McKenna, so yeah. symmetrically enough. But um, I, I, yeah, I was wanting to let certain sides of myself come out that wouldn't come out. Generally, yeah. they were the aggressive, uh, critical, mm. uh, angry side. Whereas yeah. it seems with Chuck, you're you're letting out um, a more coarse side of yourself. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, no, that's that's true. Um, you know, which which was kind of fun um writing it was was very enjoyable i have to say um and and just not not feeling as though i had to censor myself as well so i i was intrigued by 
what came out of that of the writing process um mm-hmm. and uh but yeah really it's just a book that um you know i'm i'm talking about my my failures with with women and um and also just trying to map you know where i went wrong in that whole process because uh you know look it, it dates back to childhood adolescence etc but i i've kind of i'm i'm glad i i wrote the book and you know i got it out there and um and i i have to say my my attitude towards you know women and and relationships it's i'd say it's changed a lot actually it's sort of there's less you know as as i argue in the book it's um you know the simp is is this sort of pathetic creature who who feels incomplete uh you know without a woman in his life mm-hmm. and uh and he he'll do anything to try and please a woman and it's this you know it's this pathetic uh process of of again it's it's always trying to make her you know uh to to you know do whatever he can to please her so he'll he'll you know shower her with attention and do favors for her and all that kind of thing and it's you know when when you so in my case it's sort of like i i um i think there's just less desire to you know i can i can see that tendency in myself and i sort of just feel now it's kind of like well i'm i'm probably fairly satisfied um you know i'm i'm happy being alone really if 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 i have to you know if if i'm if if i never have a another partner again well maybe it's a little bit sad and it's kind of like okay the, you you know you're dealing with loneliness and that sort of thing but it's not such a bad thing i know that i could cope just fine on my own you know so um i now sort of if i go on a date or something i you know as i as i mentioned in the, in the conclusion or the epilogue it's um you know you just try and enjoy the woman's company and not necessarily approach it from you know what what can i get out of this exchange or this experience you know um or what can i get from her you know it's sort of so yeah i don't know i i hope it's maybe it'll help um other guys i don't know you know i i like to think it's a positive book because you set the right example i mean that's yeah that's a rare enough thing anyway i mean back to jordan peterson's appeal yeah um, but why i felt critical of him because the the paucity of good strong male examples in our culture is so great that jordan yeah. peterson really did seem like a breath of fresh air mm. to so, so many people but I'd say that that does underscore that paucity that there's very few men who are willing to stand on their own two feet and see their simpishness for what it is Mm. and um, renounce it, say, I sit no more. So, and I mean, I can't, based on the book, it seems, yeah, that you came through a process, which I'd say, I don't know if you mentioned this in the book, yeah, those women that, that you were complicit in turning you into a simp or you were complicit with them turning you into a simp, however you want to put it. Put mm. it. Your mummy is the main culprit, as I'm sure you know. But <laughs> they, they, were your, they were your allies in the end because they helped you to see your simpiness, right? Yeah. So in a certain yeah. you could say they were your liberators. 
And um, yeah. mm. well, I, I guess I will. Uh, hopefully, we're not entirely well. It doesn't matter if we're off the record or, or on, but I could end on a personal anecdote, which was I also before I met my wife, I'd come out of, a, of an actually a traumatic relationship. I wouldn't yeah. say that I turned into a simp or anything during that because my simp years were were earlier than that. Um, but but it was traumatic anyway. And uh, I was more of a shaman simp, you see. And part of my shaman simpishness was the women, the girls, they saw me as a shaman and you don't have sex with a shaman because, so no, you're my shaman, right? So yeah. I, I don't look at you that way. So at least I didn't feel like a simp. You know, I wasn't like the the girlfriend with the penis, as you put it. I was, mm. the, I was the boyfriend with a plutonic penis you know platonic plutonic plutonic yeah. as in, you know it's too scary really yeah. but I still the simp pattern was still playing there and I had tended to compensate it by by being actually quite assertive and aggressive sometimes which obviously would scare those women off as well the anti-simp program mm. but anyway I was just going to say that I'll describe how when I met my current, my wife now, who's still my wife, it's 12 years now, I think. Wait, how many years is it? Yeah, it's 12 years. All right. So 12, years, yeah. 12 years a husband. Um, um, <laughs> I, I was also uh, in that state, not, not identical, but similar. Like I was digging a well, really, in my own psyche, to, to excavate all of those women implants and inceptions in a way that was, was actually ceremonial and was, it was giving thanks. And I was, I, was, I was appreciating and feeling the love and the connection to all those women that I'd failed to conquer. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and for making my peace with, with my, you know, the wreckage of my love life. Mm. You know, lucky in cars, unlucky in love. They say, I would say, well, I should have gone to Las Vegas. That's how unlucky in love I was. Um, and 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 what what seemed to work there was that clearing in a space where I was I was complete unto myself. I didn't need uh, I didn't need a woman, and that that was the space that drew my wife into it because she said that she acknowledged it she was aware of that, that she needed a man who didn't need a woman because a man who needs a woman isn't safe yeah because he needs yeah. like a child needs a mummy and when yeah. he doesn't get what he wants he becomes mm. becomes you know not, not safe to be around or not good right so yeah. so there's a it's like an ancient way of being. I mean, you can see it in the cats as well, in different ways, and in the animals and whatnot. There's a, there's a way that a man needs to be to really attract the woman that will complete and complement him. It's paradoxical. You have to feel complete in yourself to then be completed energetically by a, by a, by a partner. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And, and I, I have to say it's, um, you know, it, it's sort of, well, it, I, I kind of look at it now as though, you know, I kind of got everything I deserved uh, from those women, and uh, I guess maybe I can thank them for for being so brutal, <laughs> because, you know, let's say they had indulged my neediness or what have you. I mean, that would have been an absolute disaster. Um, 
you know so it's, mm. and now i i'm sort of meeting women who who are very strong women and um you know they don't they don't bullshit at all and it's kind of it's really sort of fantastic you know so brutally honest <laughs> and it's kind of like um you just know that you can't put anything past them um they will give you their absolute honest opinion on things so you know anyway on, on that note okay, i guess we'll end multi-dating apparently. <laughs> no i, I kind of playing the field <laughs> no I, I i sort of got back into into dating a little bit and uh you know and i've had some nice interactions with women um and but yeah again i'm, I'm not certainly not pursuing any of them i i kind of look at it as though um you know maybe <clears throat> maybe they would you know if they they saw me as worthy they might choose me you know like i yeah, i shouldn't have correct. to do the chasing you know it's that's, that's not my correct. job yeah that's right well, it's the woman who chooses it's yeah. just not made conscious yeah uh, mm. yeah well yeah well good good on you I mean, <laughs> as as a as a brother yeah. Uh, who has no such interest in you as you have none such in me uh, i can um i can certainly see that you've become much more settled in yourself and more rooted and grounded and and just more yourself and that's refreshing yeah. to see yeah. Yeah. you'll make uh, a woman happy someday i'm sure <laughs> okay. thanks jason i i appreciate that um i just wanted to say that uh you're looking well you're looking healthy and uh i can see you're in a in a in a good place yourself um so you know i just wanted to thank you for uh you know uh you know well because you've you've been a sort of an important person in my life for uh for many years now and you know i've sort of been on a similar kind of journey i guess i've been i wouldn't say that i've been necessarily following you but i've been I don't know. I see you as a kindred spirit. So I, you know, I, I guess that's, that's how it is. Well, likewise, likewise. Yeah. Uh, Lewis and or Chuck, whichever <laughs> turns out to be. That's the end of that conversation with Lewis Proud. The next limerist I'm hoping, well, it hasn't happened yet, but uh, in the next week or two, I'm hoping to have up a conversation with Kate Ledegar and Deepti Dart. Uh, for those who don't know, there's a new website, landmademan.com, and I'm starting a workshop, Exit Strategies in the End Times, Mapping Hell to attain heaven. Something like that as uh, introductory meeting this Wednesday, this autumn equinox. And uh, that's for free, by donation anyway. And uh, after that, there will be regular workshop interactive meetings on this theme, Thrust and Impetus, that you can sign up for at the new site by emailing me as ever, Jason with you at protonmail.com. Uh, for 15 euro a meeting. Not a gleam.